gosh, I, would, I forgot I even had that in my pack. Yeah, that's exactly the sport, man. I, if Joe flicked my ear, I'd, I'd probably kind of come in the forehead. It's Wednesday morning, and uh, we're both finally back in the shop. Uh, Frank's done shooting goats and leaving them on the side of a uh, mountain Alaska. What happened with that, Frank? <laughs> Too soon, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, in Alaska, uh, if they fall on a cliff and die, they don't let you shoot another one. Yeah, for good reason, I'm yeah. sure. But not, not, when not, not, not <laughs> ideally. If you're the hunter, no, not ideally. Uh, but, uh, but Frank, Frank just got back from that. I just got back from helping out on a, on a mountain goat hunt and we've been wanting to get, uh, Tony Treach, Treach, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly on for quite a while. And finally, Frank and I are both in the office at the same time and you had to change your truck tire. So you're actually at home for a little bit. So everybody welcome, uh, Tony. How do you say, how do you say your last name? Is it Treach? Treach. Treach. That's close. Yep. Well, Tony Treach, yeah, who's enough. probably one of the more successful hunters out uh, in the uh, the hunting outdoor industry uh, right now. So, Tony, what's going on? Uh, not much. I'm actually home for a little while, which doesn't usually happen this time of year, but I, I ran out of tags. So, the, uh, I'll be headed back out soon. I've got a, a handful of deer hunts now and a buddy that has a, a bison tag, so... I'm uh, getting gear ready and pretty soon be hitting the road and start all over again. That's it. Well, for, for those people who um, who don't know, you know, who you are, follow along, kind of tell everybody a little bit about yourself, uh, you know, where you're living, what you're doing, and then, the, you know, how you're able to load up the truck, the diesel truck, not not the, the Shelby Raptor, and uh, <laughs> no. head, out, head out for as long as you do. So, uh, kind of designed my, my life to, to afford myself the time to, to get away from home. Um, not getting rich doing it. Uh, it's just a matter of priorities and, and spending time in the mountains is my priority. So, uh, it's, you know, 20 years ago, I was doing this in the Midwest, chasing whitetails and just going state to state for months at a time. And I'm a self-employed carpenter. So it's just a matter of how much money I don't want to make. But, uh, once I got bit by the mountains, uh, I've just been all in on it, and basically, I haven't I haven't hunted in a tree stand since 2012, and um, the mountain hunting just you know it became my life's passion, and so I I typically pack up uh, you know just depending on where where tags land uh, after the application season, uh, sometime late July, early August, head out west, and I'm not usually home until middle november i might come home for one trip in the middle of october to process elk and deer between between hunts but typically uh well this year i i was home for a few days uh at the end of september that's the first time in eight years i've spent a foot in my home state uh during september so just chase tags usually easy to get tags sometimes you get lucky and get a good one uh but it's uh yeah and I don't really care about species. I'm white tails, mule deer, elk. I just—it's more like it's more the terrain to me nowadays, and and, and the way out. Um, uh, just just love being in the mountains. So I've gotten uh, I was fortunate enough that actually you introduced me to Ryan Avery at Rock Slide, and I uh, became uh, you know started writing for them, and uh, definitely uh, it helped help me with uh, being able to to do what I do, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, 
I'm just a carpenter. Like that shit. Gotcha. So, uh, like with Rock Slide, what's your, uh, I mean, I see, I know, but I mean, so does Frank. What's your affiliation with them? Are you writing for them? Do you do like yeah. videos? I mean, what goes on with that? I'm not much of a, I'm not, I'm not as good with video as, as some of the other uh, year reviewers, but both mostly just, they just give me stuff to review. And, uh, and sometimes I bring companies to them and, uh, you know, just, yeah, just trying to get, stay on top of the new stuff, the new year that, that, uh, as it comes out and you know, I, I don't like using crap gear. That's kind of, that's kind of how it started for me. It's, I mean, I'm not, I'm a, I'll spend more to get the best type of guy. I'm not, I don't, nothing drives me more crazy than having shit that doesn't work at on or anywhere in any time of life. So I, uh, it's kind of like the search for the best. Uh, but I'm still in the process of it right now. I just got a new vinyl harness the other day and then I, I just, yeah, constantly looking to improve my gear to make me more lethal. Gotcha. So how long have you been doing doing the, uh, the doing the rock slide thing? Oh, probably 2013, I think. 2013 or 14. I think is when you introduced me to Ryan. Gotcha. I can't remember. I'm getting old. Yeah, how yeah. old are you? Yeah. 47. Yeah, see, you're already old. I'm almost old. <laughs> Frank could be your I kid. I am. Oh, I- <laughs> just kidding. Uh, that's, that's always fun. Yeah. So you you do um you know obviously as you talk you're not species specific where uh somebody like a let's say a Robbie Denning I guess more is um you mm-hmm. know tunnel vision on 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 mule deer or a um I guess there's tons of different elk guys out there but you you also do on the ground whitetail hunting which is um. Something I have gotten multiple messages on, um, you know, you're always going to have uh, haters, right? Like, he'd never get that done in Alabama. Well, I don't think he's saying he would. That's why he's hunting them where he's yeah, at, because right. it's more effective. And the way oh, that yeah. you hunt those um, is just knowing where you hunt and some of the areas where, where I hunt can be extremely effective. It's not always going to be um, I mean, it's got to be the right time. It's definitely got to be the right location as far as the yeah. terrain. But why don't you talk about mm-hmm. why you do that? And and don't give away all your secrets, but how that plays sure. into your, um, you know, I don't want to sit in a tree, so I figured this out and made it work. You know, kind of explain that. Yeah. Well, first I'll say to that Alabama crater guy, he's absolutely right. I went down there and tried to kill those last winter, and that's hard as shit. Those things are cracked out. Uh, They're drugged up. But my, my system... Yeah, those. Uh, uh, basically, I, I started out in the plains probably about ten years ago. We got there, and I, you know, as a Midwestern guy, I've been around and looking for trees. Like, what, you know, you know, the farmers point there. Well, we own this section. We got this section. I'm like, well, there's not a single bush out there. It looks flat as a pancake. And it took us a whole year to figure out that it's not flat. There's a lot more roll, you know, rolling terrain there, and the deer are not using trees very much. They're using grass. They're using brush. They're using you know, just a little patch of those dried up sunflowers, you know, whatever they can hide in to make them feel secure. And we had to figure out a way to, to hunt it. Um, my buddies didn't really stick around much longer than the first couple of years that were hunting with me. And and they were rifle guys and we did the rifle the first couple of years. But as soon as they, their wives made them bay on, they all kind of pittered out. I, I started hunting the, the archery and completely different game. Uh, it was, it wasn't, you know, 
way less pressured and the deer were acting like deer. And I started seeing these bucks, uh, they get their does, you know, white tail mostly, uh, and they pull off, you know, a hot doe and get her away from the other, the other deer and just, they fed up in the goofiest spots. And, you know, at first, the first year I remember sneaking him, you know, I didn't have a decoy and it was easy to get close. Uh, cause typically he's getting up and running off a little buck. So it's easy, even when they're in three or four foot tall brush, you know, you'll see them get up, chase a little buck up, go back to his bed or so. And, and I mean, uh, the biggest buck I've ever been on, uh, in Kansas was, uh, that first year that I started doing this, I didn't have a decoy and I got uh, within 15 yards of him three different times and did not get him killed. I just didn't have a way to, to hold him or to even suck him in further than, uh, than, you know, when he stood up, it's like, you know, you better have a, a shot angle because he's going to, he ain't going to be there long. And, uh, next year I brought decoys and it was, well, at first I brought the wrong damn decoy. I bought, I had one of those big full, like full silhouette of a white tail toe. Uh, but I brought the, I think it was made by Montana decoy and, and they also make an elk version. Well, I had the elk version at home and I accidentally brought the elk legs. So I had this funny picture of a little white tail toe that was like, Four foot off the ground, and I think I posted a picture on social media. Just like uh, I screwed up here. <laughs> uh, Garrett Rowe, heads up decoy, uh, actually messaged me. He's like, uh, "I don't think you're too far away from me right now. I actually am in Kansas. Uh, do you want to meet up? I'll set you up with my, my decoy, and you can give it a shot." Literally, a couple hours later, met him at you know intersection, and we installed the bracket on my bow, and off I went. The next morning, I killed a 185-inch white tail. And that damn buck was going to take that decoy and the bow out of my hand if I didn't shoot him. It was the most amazing experience <laughs> I'd ever had. And I was hooked. Uh, in, in years following after that, I've done the same thing with, uh, with mule deer. It's a little bit different in the ways you've got to treat them because they usually have a harem. And you're usually trying to suck in the does, which bring the but but with the white tails, they're so aggressive. It's if you like like you like you said, you're you're the guy that's calling me out saying I can't do this in Alabama. But you're kind of right. You, you need a lot of things. You need open space. You need to be able to see where they bed. You need them to be running. You need them to have a doe. Those things happen, and you and they're on property you can hunt. That buck's dead, and it's just a matter of finding the one you want. So it's. I mean, it, I probably make it sound a little simpler than it is, but there's really, you can make it as complicated as you want, but it really, it's when you get everything lined up, it is lights out and it is so much fun. Because those things, when they see that little decoy in the front of your bow, it is, <laughs> their eyes roll back in their head, their ears go back and bristle up like a, you know, like a, like a scared dog and they come marching in swinging their antlers. It's just, it's, one of the most thrilling things. I mean, I, I, I put it right up there with a, you know, with a, with a big bull elk coming in screaming at you. It's pretty, uh, exhilarating. So, um, using, I, I don't, I don't use the same exact decoy, same principle, right. On, on the bow. Um, yeah. and I will say for, for antelope, for example, early season for antelope, that, that decoy might work one out of five times, one out of 10. When I say work, meaning you know, they're not in the mood, right? They're, it serves a purpose maybe to block yeah. a little bit of movement, but um, 
you know, whitetails, a uh, little bit different mule deer. It works every time for what you want it to do if you're peeking up over a cliff and need an extra couple of seconds in case they look up, right? It's different in the cliffs, different for sheep, because we are just looking to add three to five seconds to the shot opportunity so they don't just blow out when mm-hmm. they see movement. With what you're doing, you're actually, they're attracting to that decoy. They're coming in as a dominance um uh, thing uh, oh, yeah. if you're a buck or if you're a doe they're coming in to, to try to hook you and, and and get you into their their harem more or less from what i've seen yeah, so, oh go ahead go ahead no, no, no. Go, go ahead. i was gonna say that the, the the doe decoy with the mule deer it's in my experience man they hate it and they will start blowing and snorting at you because they just don't know who the hell you are and then they'll come in and check you out and then they'll leave and they'll run off the start. And then they'll turn, I mean, they'll literally run back and forth. I've had that happen dozens of times. Meanwhile, the bucks just stand and they're like, what is going on here? And it's, it's usually a matter of curiosity. Eventually they come right in, the does will just accept you and lay down with you. And then the buck comes over to check you out. I mean, I shot a, a buck, you know, 180-inch buck in Montana a few years ago at three feet. I mean, they just, like, they don't. So it's, it, it doesn't work always the same way, but yeah, it's, it is, when it works, it's, 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 yeah, it's fun. So I, you know, I, touching on that a little bit, cause it is unique and I, I get questions about it and I honestly just don't want to answer them, but it's, for example, uh, a coolie, <laughs> um, in Kansas or Nebraska, Oklahoma, a coolie meaning, you know, more or less a, a draw or a drainage or a low point, whatever, however you want to look at it. A lot of times mm-hmm. those bucks bet in that and they will be bedded a certain distance away from multiple does where they can walk back and forth and wind check them. Um, mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. You, you're more of a whitetail hunter than I am. Um, I mean, I like doing it, but I'm not as into it, meaning I always have that decoy in the truck because many mm-hmm. times on the way back from sitting a stand, holy, and you see, you know, CRP, you see a giant rack sticking out of there. Well, yep. Do you sit in a tree waiting, hoping he comes in front of you, or do you go after it? The, the one thing yep. I've found is in the rut and with a decoy and the right situation and the right wind, once you get in there, they might be a little nervous at first when they see that decoy, but once they have a certain amount of time frame, they just kind of walk, look, walk, look. They get comfortable with it. Next thing you know, they're at 15 yards, or they'll charge mm-hmm. right in as a dominance thing. Same thing with antelope. What would you say is the key issue? I, for me, people think they can just throw it on, walk out, and the deer run in. It's not quite that yeah. simple. You got to have to have some foresight or foresight to it. What would you say is the number one yeah. mistake people decoying? The, the the major key is you got to know where they're bedded, and you got to be able to get close to them. See you. If you can get close, uh, especially with the white tail. You can get you get you got a buck with a doe, a hot doe. He's going to run off every buck that comes in and tries to steal that doe. Or if it's, a, if it's an equal buck, he's going to fight that buck and, and try to keep her. So you get within inside his little circle, uh, you know, 30, 40, 50 yards, as close as you can. I mean, the buck I killed last year, I was 15 yards from for an hour before I, I just couldn't, it was, the weather had changed. It went from 70 to 30 and blowing 20 miles an hour. And I, was, I had one layer of clothes on and it was freezing. So I had to basically stand up and charge him, which he just stood up and, and postured and I, shot them at six yards but you got to get close you got to know where they're bedded first off and then you got to be able to get in tight and let them see the decoy i don't do any rattling uh, in that situation or calling or grinding unless i have to like he won't stand up and i need him to stand up 
because something else is going to blow the situation up. But if you can see them, and you can get tight, and then let them discover the decoy. You know, it's that's going to put you know the best you have the best chance of them not blowing out and them coming to investigate or to kick your ass. Uh, I think it's the same thing with mule deer does. You know, I, I don't want them seeing me at 150 yards if they got a buck with them. I want that. I want to get into it. I'm, gonna, I'm belly calling, using whatever I can, using the train, and then get tight, slowly ease that thing up when they're not looking, and then just wait. And, you know, it's, yeah, I will say too, a, a disclaimer don't put this thing on your bow if it's super windy. Get the ground stake and a little clamp and get that thing out in front of you. Uh, it, it is a sale if it's windy, but yeah. but yeah, I think getting close, you got to know where they're bedded. If it's too thick, to, if you got too much timber, too much grass, you can't see where they're bedded. This might not work very well. I mean, you could probably set yourself up in an endless situation uh, with a set of decoys and, and, and suck them to you. But yeah, it's just not the game I'm playing. I'm, I'm covering ground, looking for a buck. You know, I'm, I'm not trying to sit in a spot and suck them to me. I'm taking the game to them. So. Uh... Since you travel a lot for these hunts and stuff, are you doing any uh, preseason scouting or, you know, setting cameras, targeting, are you targeting specific bucks or are you kind of just hoping to come across something that in the size range that you're looking for? Well, it kind of depends on where I'm at. Like, you know, in Kansas, where, where I've been hunting for years, uh, I'll set cameras out after I'm done and then hope the cows, you know, the moo cows don't just smash them into pieces by the time I get back next year. But, um, and then even then, you never know. There, there's a lot of, you know, domestic poaching i call it you know ranchers that get sick of deer or, or just billy bob out shining at night i think a lot of those bucks just disappear i don't see them the next year but do i i spend i usually spend a, a few weeks uh down in kansas before i end up you know sometimes you find a great bucket uh right away but it doesn't happen very often usually i'm covering a lot of land and i have a lot of different permission it's but i'm pretty picky too so uh other states, like when I've done hunted this way in Montana, um, I'm just, I just I've used not put a whole lot of scouting into it because it's a complete rut hunt in areas where I think they're transitioning through, and it's just not really those bucks come out of nowhere. Like you can go there and scout the does and find out where all the doe groups are and those coolies and those washes and where they're living. But and then then that's will the buck where the bucks probably will be. But I yeah, I'm, it's not like you're gonna turn up you know good bucks. Yeah, if you're scouting late summer in, in the breaky areas of eastern Canada, uh, Montana, it's just, I just, I think yeah, you could probably spend your time in better ways. Gotcha. So you're being, um, you know, more of a, you know, when I say trophy hunter, you're not necessarily trophy hunter. You're looking for the oldest, uh, generally, or largest and oldest, or, or both, um, animal mm-hmm. when you go out. Have you always been that way? Is that something you kind of transition to over time? <laughs> Um, you know, people get, no, I no. get that question quite a bit. Oh yeah. No, I, so, so I, I was lucky. My dad, you know, he had me in a tree stand before you in Michigan before I was, you know, could carry a bow. So by the time I was 12 years old and I was legal, I mean, I was, a, I was, I was, well, I'm sure the statute of limitations up, but my mom's tags got filled. My grandma's tags got filled. My tags got filled and I was killing any legal animal. And I think that, I'd advise any guy, a gal starting out, any kid or late onset hunter, or whatever, just do that. Just learn how to kill. And I mean, I, I've got baskets and baskets and baskets of little Michigan forkies and spikes and, you know, some nice little eight points and 10 points, but I mean, nothing, nothing big. We just didn't, 
you know, that was the mentality, you know, growing up in the Midwest in my area was if it had an illegal antler, which was one antler, one spike, at least three inches long, it was legal. And I got a couple that barely make it. That was, that was our, that was what we did. And it wasn't until I was probably in my twenties and uh, just out of college that, you know, buddy invited me on a hunt out of state and I went out of state and my eyes got opened up to what's out there. And like, holy crap, these different areas where, you know, it's not like Michigan where they kill 300,000 deer a year. They're, they're actually, they're mature bucks running around. And uh, that, that started the passion of, you know, like, I need to get the hell out of home. My home state's, you know, got too many damn sportsmen. And, uh, and it's changed around here now. Now we've got quality deer management you know, and, and antler restrictions and, you know, it's, it's you hunt hard in Michigan, Northern Michigan, you, you, you can turn up a Pope and Young class buck. Uh, but no, I, I smashed every damn legal buck I found for, for 10 years, uh, until I realized you can, you, you can literally turn up mature bucks every year, which was a dream though. Like you, as a young boy in Michigan, you know, in the eighties hunting deer, like you just didn't even think that was possible. So took a while to open my eyes what's out there so with what you've you kind of got going on now you you basically load up the truck um and the trailer and you head out you know august ish uh beginning of september and then you come back you know basically three months later more or less um <laughs> cor- cor- i mean more or less anyway i mean that's yeah. if you got yeah. the tags yep yep typically yeah i uh i mean things have changed now with coronavirus and you know, we got Billy Bob and everybody, all of his cousins are applying for tags, and all of a sudden, you know, it's for someone who's applying all. I mean, I fly everywhere except for the West Coast. So, like, you know, the Pacific Coast, I don't touch that. They can have it. Um, and usually, I'll, I'll have five to ten tags uh, by the time I, you know, fall comes around, late summer. That wasn't exactly the case this year, and that, that's kind of why I'm, I was home for a few days in September. I just, you know, tags were. The draw odds are getting tougher and tougher everywhere. I mean, I haven't, I don't know of all the states have released all the information yet, but it definitely got worse. And tags in the past that were, you could draw every single year, guys weren't drawing them. Uh, I mean, take Kansas this year. I don't have a Kansas uh, archery deer tag this year. This is the first time ever. And I can tell you where exactly where I was when I looked at the results. And I can tell you, I didn't sleep at all that night. Uh, I was on a bear hunt in Montana and I mean uh, yeah uh, so things are changing and, and hunts kind of you know, leaned on in the past uh, might take a point or two to, to get so it's uh, times are changing how you get tags that's for sure so one thing I, I, I want to cover with, with you coming from you know the Midwest and um, when I say the mid. You kind of, I mean, it's going to sound horrible. Michigan is not the armpit of the Midwest, but for hunting, it is rough. Um, I've been hunting oh, yeah. 20 years. Now, and you come out mm-hmm. west and you do, uh, you know, one of the more successful hunters out there. Um, and, you know, trying to relay the, the, the message, you know, people from social media, you know, hey, how come you guys are all successful? One of the reasons I would say you and I are both successful is time off, right? Yeah, you, you're going to get mm-hmm. it. You hunt more, you get. But there's more to it than that. Um, the more you do it, the more you learn. And in in, in your uh-huh. case, and in, in, in mine and Frank's and other guys, 
you, know, you get to do it more. You're learning a lot faster if you're smart about it. One of there's mm-hmm. a few different things that um, I try to convey to people. One, for example, as simple as it is, is optics. You know, there's arguments all the time. You know, high end optics is is a mid range the same and the, the one thing that I have found is no matter where I go, whether I'm going in blind or somebody's asked me to go on a, a hunt, if there's animals there and you want an animal behavior and you have good optics and you can stay behind the glass, you, you are going to find them. Um, mm-hmm. And when I say that, meaning you're coming from the Midwest and you're going to an area that you may have got intel and then you learn more about it as time goes on and you become more of a, uh, a, a master of that specific area. How important is glass to you? Um, and when I say that, mm. meaning mid-range to high-end, you were probably in poverty at one point. Um, I don't think you were <laughs> you know, born into royalty, neither were Frank and I. How important is high-end no. optics and how important is staying behind the glass to you? I, yeah. So my, we had a, like a family pair of binoculars growing up that uh, you literally probably couldn't have counted points at 30 yards with. It was so bad. Uh, it's like looking into a wall of smoke. Uh, well, you didn't really need them in Michigan either. Though. I mean, you can get away without them. Um, that, that's kind of my, my point, though. It, like, when you yeah. say I don't need them where you don't need them in Michigan, how important are they where you're going? No. Oh, that's... Well, uh, we're up there with boots and backpack as far as, like, you know, uh, if you if you got a 20-year-old bow that still groups arrows at 40, 50 yards, uh, but your binoculars are you're looking through a wall of smoke, uh, upgrade the binoculars before you get the new weapon. Uh, it's that important. I don't think that many other things other than, you know, having boots, you know, to get you up in the mountains are, are as important to your success. It's uh, if you can't find them, you can't kill them. And then that goes for the plains. That goes for the high country deer. That goes for, uh, like the Nevada oak kind of was just done. I mean, it's, it's wide open without glass. If you're not, seeing animals at long distances and it's it's gonna be tough you're putting yourself behind uh behind eight ball and i think that and this, and this goes for everything in life and for hunting put yourself in the greatest position to succeed you can every little detail you know might get the microscope out and look through your gear look through your look through your behavior look through everything and look that glass may be a big one if, if it's if, if you're sitting you know and, and try to get out there in glass with other guys too so you can see what what's out there see see all the different glass but if, if you're looking through yours and and your buddies keep finding here and you look through his binoculars and all of a sudden you're like you know someone pulled the curtain back like holy shit i can actually see more deer with this well guess what your next, next purchase should be i mean it's it makes a difference and I, I never tried to go out west with crap binoculars just because i simply didn't have any you know i i, I listened I guess is what you could say. And I, and I went out West with a, I think it was an older pair of ice and they weren't the greatest. I mean, they were 15 years old or 10 years old, whatever. But my, my very first year, you know, I still had decent glass and I found him and I, I killed my first elk my first year. And it, it was, and, I, and I'm going around, I'm constantly upgrading. I mean, I got a set of NLP on order and I'm, 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 I'm going to use the best equipment and glass is probably right there at the top of this list that I can afford. And if I have to eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, just to, uh, you know, I work when I go to lunch and just in order to have, uh, to save extra money to be able to afford new binoculars, well, I'm going to be eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Uh, it's, it's all where your priorities are and glasses. Huge. I, 
I had some, Frank. You look like you're oh. <clears throat> glass over gains. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I had somebody message me, and we're friends recently. Uh, a guy, you see, I do those Q and A's, and and uh, somebody said I've saved a thousand dollars. What should I buy? And I said, save more. Um, I got a few hate fail hate mail comments, and we didn't, we can't all drive Raptors, bro. And I'm like, look, man, I'm giving you the <laughs> the advice of uh, me being in poverty. I wish. Okay, so Tony, you do construction. You're good at math. So let's yeah. add this up. Oh God. You buy a $400 set of, uh, I don't know, pick it, Nikon. Uh, well, let's say $150 set of Vortex Vipers or what not Vipers, uh, Diamondbacks. And then the next pair you buy is a Viper. So now you've got mm -hmm. 500 and a Viper, 150 and a Diamondback. So we're at, we're at 650 Then you get rid of the Viper and you go to a Razor, let's say. Razors, I think they're listed at 1400 You can get them for a grand. So now, with my fancy arithmetic, we're at about sixteen fifty. So out, we're at sixteen fifty with three sets of binoculars with incremental gains, and then at sixteen fifty, the Maven is just a little bit better, and that Maven's a grand mm -hmm. eleven hundred, and now you're at twenty six fifty. <laughs> what would have happened? And it's the yeah. same with backpacks and boots and anything else. What would have happened if you just sucked it up with the six fifty binos, kept saving? and went straight to buying either a used set of Leica, Zeiss, or Swaro, or a new set. Yeah. Like, like right now, guys are like not wanting to buy Swaro SLCs because they're discontinued. I'm like, that's the time to buy. Like they didn't become mm -hmm. bad because they're discontinued. They came discontinued because the NL came out, and now the EL will kind of take the place of the SLC. Um, yeah. Would you give that advice that I just gave, or would you say, Snyder, we can't all drive Raptors? As a young construction worker. Yeah. As a construction worker at 26 to 30 years old, would you suggest somebody to say, hey, just use the Vipers and keep saving? Oh, yeah, for sure. And, and like you said, watch for used deals. There's always guys like me that are upgrading, or you that are going to be like, oh, yeah, I've got these sitting here, I haven't used them for three years. I'll give you a great deal on them. And that's where you're going to, you know, and, and people don't bash, you know, people say, you know, you know, rough on gear. I'm still not like dragging my old, my binoculars through gravel. They're, so I got a set of four-year-old, you know, Leicas here. They're in great shape. Find somebody that like that that has those and save up, make a deal with them. Maybe, you know, help figure out maybe you can work for them. And by the way, I'm hiring if anybody wants a job. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But find a, find a way to, to, to make it work. There's always, there's always a way to do it. And, but yeah, I, I, don't get me wrong. I, I love those middle tier binoculars. Uh, I got a, my, my wife uses the Mavens, uh, but if you can just suck it up for a little bit longer or work out a deal with somebody, you know, get on rock slides for, uh, classified forums. There's, there's deals on there every day. There's someone selling their binoculars because they upgraded. There's, there's no better way to, to get in, uh, your first level of, you know, our first, uh, set of high level optics. You as you you know, you should talk about it like the the mid level. I think since the industry is how it is and everything is in such absolutes that I have said many times, uh, a Maven is uh, probably the or one of the best mid range uh, or mid upper binocular options. And when people ask me and they're like, I come out west once a year. I also hunt whitetail. That's that's screaming mid level, right? You get a guy that lives out west and is like, man, I hunt mule deer. I help buddies out with sheep, mountain goat. That's screaming, keep saving. 
right? I mean, but by no yeah. means, am I, that's like telling a guy he has to have a kafaru to go sit in a tree stand. If you can afford it, great, but you don't have to have, you don't have to have that, right? You don't, if, uh-huh. if, you, if you're hunting a tree stand, you don't have to have, what's your current boot you're wearing? Oh God, I've got five different pair out there. Uh, I'm going to assume through the lower the ending pair. Yeah, like oh, go ahead. Well, I was just, uh, this year, uh, I think Frank's were on the same boot, a goofy yellow-toed uh, La Sportiva, which uh, I got sent to test, and instantly I was like, oh, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do with this. But those things were my lucky boot. I think I killed both my bulls wearing this year. So the Ma- but, Ma- Ma- Ronald uh, McDonald death boot. I don't know what the, they're the that yellow is just ungodly ugly, but they're, the, yeah, they're, uh, they're pretty nimble. You, you feel nimble in them. I mean, they're they're light and they're not real stiff. But if I had to pick one mountain boot, I'm probably going with a little a full leather boot. I like the uh, way different suns and uh, a few others. But the, those boots are all in the four to five hundred dollar range. You know, usually three eighty to to five. Mm-hmm. Do you have to have a boot like that to go sit in a tree stand? You can probably go get some two thousand <laughs> no. gram uh, Walmart boots and get her done, right? I mean, per- personally, I'd rather have those those uh, Walmart two hundred gram insulated boots. I've <laughs> every time I've been into tree stand, I froze my feet off. That's what I've got some yeah. baffins that were like one hundred and eighty bucks that are like rated for negative fifty because I don't I don't like getting cold. And you 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 whitetail hunt a bunch. I mean, are you wearing rubber boots most of the time? Insulated like a eighty nine to one hundred fifty dollar rubber boot. No, I used to, uh, back when I hunted tree stands in the Midwest. Yeah, no, I, I literally still have, I think, uh, two sets of 1200 gram, you know, knee rubber boots and a couple of, uh, you know, the cross, whatever, the, the uninsulated. And that's all I wore. Yeah. It was, it was the scent freak Nazi when I was, when I was hunting tree stands. But anymore, no, I, I'm on the ground and it's, uh, something flexible that just protects my feet from, uh, from briars and, uh, thorns and shit i'm not a big take my boot off guy when i move in for the kill uh most of the spots they hunt you get your feet torn up pretty good unless you had some fancy stocking shoes so i I just like to shoot a boot that i can move and uh cover ground and usually the same boots i'm wearing the mountain gotcha and and, and, you can yeah yeah i mean you can wear tennis shoes i mean yeah, with what, you're, with what you're doing, I was going to say, like, with the, the spot and stock, I couldn't because my feet get too cold. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and it, but again, you know, the, the point is, you know, if you're going to become more of a Western hunter, you don't need a new bow every year. You do need really good optic. Um, you know, clothing, you don't have to have the latest, greatest, world's best clothing. You got to have good clothing. And if you, you kind of tear it up, tear group it up, I mean, it's different for somebody like you now, obviously you get a bunch of stuff free to, to, to test, but you know, you buy good stuff. It lasts quite a while. And, um, you know, if you're going to start Western hunting, especially more and more serious, the technical apparel or optics or footwear becomes a bit more important. And I'm not talking just coming out like seven days once a year, nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's what most people do you are coming out for three to four months from one mm-hmm. climate to another. And so yeah. what, what's your packing list look like? Like, you know, we talked about optics oh, and God. footwear, but you yeah. gotta have a pile of, pile of stuff in the back. Oh God. Yeah. No, I, I literally have to come out with, uh, gear enough usually for temperatures that range anywhere from a hundred degrees down to, you know, well below freezing multiple different 
type of shelters, multiple different types of sleeping bags, uh, more layers, uh, clothing layers. And oh my God, I, I had a, I had a tote this year, just of puppies. I think I had spider puppies with me, uh, which I probably need to fix that, but, uh, crazy amount of different gear. And I, and I, and I see different types of, I mean, weather, even this year, I only had a couple of, uh, the, the first uh, month and a half of my season, I only covered Nevada and Colorado, and it was, yeah, I saw everything from you know snow uh, and you know probably just below freezing to well over 100 degrees and everything in between. It's, uh, I think, with footwear, you know, I, I always try to have a just a, a burly can take any type of abuse leather, you know, like that laser and sun boot in the truck. I also like to have kind of an in between. The Las Pertiva cubes always been good to me. I like the, I like, I like Las Pertiva. Uh, that new one they sent out, the old McDonald toe. It might be goofy as shit to look at, but it, it does suck your foot pretty good. And I, mean, I was able to, to stock both the bulls I, I killed in it this year. Uh, and just randomly, I, I was rotating through all different, all the different booths, but uh, different types of pants. I mean, different, yeah, it, it's, it does get a little pricey if you're really going to try to, you know, like I guess what I'm doing, you know, covering all these different ranges of different types of bonds and different temperature ranges. I mean, uh, to really have the, you know, what I would consider like the best option, you're going to have a lot of crap in the truck. And it's, it's, it's definitely, uh, kind of the more I think about it, 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 it is pretty freaking expensive. <laughs> I do have a lot of crap rope up in it, but it's, it, it, it can be whatever you make it. Well, um, would you, so for guys heading out West or, or, um, you know, you obviously have no issue heading out West. A lot of guys are scared of it. And there's going to be some people oh, listen when I say yeah. that I'm not scared. You're fucking scared. Okay. I mean, it's just okay to say, I mean, I, I might be scared of swimming with sharks. I don't know. Pick something. It's just not my thing. But if you just get up and out here, the, the amount of, you know, the, the volume of, of lessons learned by getting your ass kicked are really hard to even explain in words. So just, just going solo uh-huh. or with a buddy, um, what, what advice would you give for some guys heading out west, whether it be for mule deer uh, in Idaho because it sucks in Colorado, uh, elk in Idaho or Wyoming because Colorado sucks. Um, what, yeah, what advice would you worse, give? Sure. What's that? It is getting worse. I'll be there. <laughs> got to work a little harder Colorado. what uh what, what would you say though for guys heading out west like you know for you like you said when you came when you were younger and and it kind of evolved mm-hmm. i mean i was just gotta tell guys just I, just go but what do you think yeah well i think it is just as simple as just go but i think the biggest thing speaking for myself the the, the biggest factor when you know and i was well, i was still spending time away from home i was sleeping in different farmers barns in illinois and iowa and kansas and ohio and but it's it's completely different when you when you're putting together you know okay I'm gonna be in the mountains uh, my gear is completely different I say once you get your gear and stuff ready you still got to make that first step you still got to pack up the truck you got to drive to an area you've never been you got to hike up a, a trailhead you've never been you don't know what to expect I think the biggest thing that would have made or did and actually did because I did find someone uh, and I wouldn't call it a full fledged mentor but at least find somebody you can bounce ideas off that is willing to talk to you, willing to help you, give you little, little tidbits that are going to give you the confidence to like, yeah, I can do this. It's, 
And it might be just as something as simple as, no, no, your, your, your food's all screwed up. This is too much weight. Get rid of this. Add these. You'll be just fine. You don't, you know, or, or it could be like, oh man, you're, you know, you got way too much clothes. Cut all this out. It could be as simple as, dude, you don't want to drive your truck up those roads that are marked like that. Park here. Use this as your trailhead. Don't don't put yourself in a situation where you you're going to get stuck. You're going to slide off the side of a hill. It could be any any number of things. It could be someone saying, "Dude, there's a lot of grizzly bears in there. Maybe you want to look at a different general area." Um, I did. You know, my very first year, I I, I met a guy, and he uh, hell, he even told me to like you know like send you buy the map of the area you want to go to here and it was the area that him and I were talking about and he's like I'll mark it up for you and he marked up some areas where you know this was old paper map style days and and he mailed it back to me and I and I still have that map and that guy gave me the confidence to know that okay at least if I get in here I might not know what the hell I'm doing but it's an area that might it's in the past it's held out you know years ago he used to kill out here it could be completely different but now but it might and I know there's a trailhead I can get to, I, you know, with my truck. I'm not going to be, you know, rock climbing with, with my, my gear. I, you know, it just, those little things can add up to a lot of confidence. And I think that having somebody that, that you know, can, can mentor you or at least give you advice on, on gear, tactics, accessibility, you know, areas. Uh, and I'm not saying specific areas. Like in the case, I got lucky and the guy hadn't hunted there in 15 years. He was like, yeah, hey, well, that's where I used to go. And it was still out there. There's not anymore, but they're gone now. There's no better camp 50 yards from where I killed my first out. But uh, yeah, find find somebody that'll help you. So when you talk about like finding someone that'll help you, obviously you're asking mm-hmm. to be overwhelmed from Michigan to be somebody to help. People have to understand <laughs> there's a level of help that all of us are willing to give. Now, if it's a gov tag, I'll probably help you out whatever way I can. If it's a sheep tag, yep, I'll tell you where to go. Mountain goat, no problem. <clears throat> hey, man, I, I'm not looking for a 350 bull, but, you know, 300 would be great. <laughs> yeah, right. Aren't we all? You know, like yeah. those spots do not come easy. Well, Tony, you killed a fucking donkey this year on an OTC tag. Yeah. What would you say tax well, title and license? Oh, go ahead. No, 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 just say it used to be OTC. I don't want to. It, it's. Uh, one well, of the that got changed recently, it, but it's a kind of, guaranteed draw, basically. But but e- either yeah, way, it's, it's an ass kicker. <laughs> what what would you say, tax, title, and license, money, labor, time in the field you have into that bull? Not just this year. I mean to learn um, that area and everything else. Oh God. Oh. Oh, I've hunted that unit a lot. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't. I don't think I want those numbers to be actually on paper. I don't want to wait to see it. <laughs> uh, but a lot of years of a lot of years of climbing around those mountains. Now, I know I I know those mountains pretty good, and yeah, I mean that's how I got on that bull. I hunted him last year. I I have all kinds of video and pictures last year, and I couldn't figure out how to, how to kill him. So I completely changed what I was doing this year. Now he's mine. Uh, you no, know, that area is. I think that putting your time in those in those harder areas definitely pays off. Um, but you're going to work for it. It's not easy. So when you know that's the same with obviously you know mule deer or anything else, you you can't expect Tony to say, hey, here's where I shot this bull and here's where my camp is. Just camp, you know, about 400 yards down. There's a great water source. Like you got to earn some of this shit. <laughs> there's not always a road map. Sometimes that road map is blood, sweat, and tears. Um, 
and, and I guess my point was knowing the amount of effort and time you put into those, those bulls are not easy to kill. Um, you know, when I even a 300 inch bull on OTC is, is probably the equivalent of a 380 on a, you know, a ranch or something or however you want to look at it. It's just, they're not, they're not overly attainable. They're possible, but probability of you shooting mm-hmm. one is not great. Yeah. When people come Probably out, just one's not great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's no shit. Um, when you when people come out west, though, what you know, looking at you, they should be shooting one eighty deer every year in, in giant bulls. What would you say is the reality of what they should be looking to do their first five years coming out west? They come out every mm. year. What do you think is attainable? <laughs> oh, uh, it depends on the hunter. You know, I've got buddies that that uh you know that that hunt like crazy in the midwest and travel around and if if i took them out west i'd take up i mean they i know they have the skills and uh, you know the you know getting themselves around the woods they probably would hold out for you know older age class stuff but it's it's you gotta you gotta be realistic you know if you're if you're struggling at home to to put you know mature animals down Going out west where the terrain's more extreme and you don't know where the hell you're at, it's not going to make things easier. Not going to all of a sudden come out and find like the oh look there's just, yeah, there's a rainbow and at the end of it there's just a one ninety bucks great. Uh, you you gotta gotta kind of be realistic to to your skills. I mean I don't think that man, it's a tough question. I don't I, I guess I would I would encourage someone if they're relatively new to to shoot the first you know legal animal they they can see whether it be deer or elk. Um, if you're used to killing, you know, Boone and Crockett size animals everywhere else you hunt, well, then I mean, probably got what it takes to, to pull it to pull it together. But it's going to take you a while to get to you know that terrain in that area. Um, so you know, it might might have to be comfortable eating a tag. Which I guess I yeah, the older I get, the more I the more I'm comfortable eating a tag. I was just going to say how the eating the tag thing. Um, one of the things I try to explain to people is your freezer's full or, you know, well, you get to shoot a lot of does. It's probably a lot easier to eat an elk tag if you got a lot of whitetails and you live in Nebraska. When you're only coming out mm-hmm. west, that's where I try to put people back, maybe not into reality, but like a, hey, you know, if you're coming out here and you actually want to eat it and, and you're not a trophy hunter, you, you know, you might take a pretty big look shooting a cow if it walks in front of you. But if you are you know, got quite a bit of meat. You got a good whitetail spot, let's say, and you know the meat isn't an important. Probably might lengthen you out, depending on your personality, to to hold out a little bit longer. It's just getting tougher and tougher in OTC, um, where you can pinpoint bulls like the one you shot. It's it's feasible. You might want to make sure and have two weeks off, maybe the whole month, because they're not they didn't get that big from being dumb um they're not gonna just stroll in when you blow a cow call like you 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 know you may not even want to call like when they get that big you you may have to do some crafty shit how did you kill that one i didn't call uh i tried so so last year i was i was trying to stay on him uh you know i would be in his area at at daylight and he had a pretty distinctive wimpy bugle and i could just try to get close get in the way but let's so many cows it just I mean something happened every time and I just I never tried calling him last year I just tried getting in his way well this year he was even more aggressive than he was last year and every single time a bull would come anywhere near him he'd steal that bull's cows and run that bull off he started with I think around 45 cows the first night I found him which was 
diversified I got into that area. And then uh, by the time I killed him, he had 70 cows, 65, 70, I don't know, maybe 75. I don't, I really don't know. Um, so I would start my mornings out on a different mountain, nowhere near him. I basically gave up the morning hunt to be able to get up on a peak and glass his entire area. I could see left and right, you know, I could see probably four miles of, of slope. And I would locate him. And he wasn't always in the same spot. You know, the muzzleloader guys were bumping him around. Uh, I just happened to get there the night before muzzleloader started. Uh, but he, he he was getting bumped around a lot. So I would figure out where they were. And then I would climb back down that mountain, go over to the Hez Mountain, climb up that mountain, and give myself an afternoon play. By giving up my morning hunt, I was able to locate him every single day but one uh, out of eight days, I think it was. And my first play was... I'm going to get in tight as I can to his cows and as aggressive as he is, I'm going to just start raking, make some bull, maybe some lighter bull sounds. Cause if he's that aggressive and he's that pissy with the other bulls, he's going to come over and try to get me out of there. Well, I tried that and every animal got up and ran two miles west. So that didn't work. So the next day I got found him again, got in tight. And this time I'm like, well, I'm going to get in even tighter if I can. The cows allow me if I can get around the cows and get within 100 yards, and I'm going to try to bugle at them. You know, wimpy bugle. Try that, same exact result. Just ran away. I mean, just stormed out of there. So I just put the calls away. And then the next few days were, were me just getting, trying to get in, in his way, or his cow's way. With that many animals, I just, I was failing every single day. Some, you know, I would get in as tight as I could, and then, he, you know, maybe one or two times they just moved off and never, you know, moved in the opposite direction. Uh, only one time did they smell me, and that was just a goofy ass day. That it, it went from sunny bluebird to uh, you know one of those afternoon monsoons, and with that change in the sun, the thermal switched 180, and there was animals below me. A couple of those that smelled me, and but they didn't freak out. I mean, I shouldn't I should say they freaked out. The dealer else didn't really seem to give a shit about what they were doing. So, um, but the day I killed them, uh muzzleloader guys had pushed him way off to the side. Like I could bear, I mean, he was a couple miles from where he had been on the side of a, on a far side of a mountain that, I don't even know, he was pretty close to the road. Um, and, and, and I thought for sure he was thinking about that group, that, that lead cow was probably thinking about taking him to, you know, down that valley across the road and the river and up to the other, to another mountain. And I didn't want that to happen because I would, uh, I'd lose my, I'd have to find a new, uh, way to, to class them up and it'd just be a pain in the ass. So I uh, basically I I wasn't able to bet them exactly like you know we're talking mixed aspens and and uh, pines. It's not like I can see exactly where they're bedded, but I know in, in a general area. Like I said, he's got a very distinctive bugle. So I got in that area probably make, uh, where I, I figured he would be working to to bed uh, probably. Nine ten in the morning, you know, a few hours after daylight. Uh, sure enough, he was having a little screaming match with one of the satellite bulls that he'd taken cows from, and uh, got to at one point in that morning, I was within a hundred yards of him. I know I was, but he, and ba- you know, basically that little satellite was just right next to me, and they were screaming at each other. And then he, the big one, shut up. I never saw any cows. I think he probably left them to come yell at this other bull, but I kind of lost them. Um, I kept climbing went up the top just to sit up there and listen for, you know, the next set of bugles. And it wasn't for, gosh, I, I mean, it was probably 
one or two o'clock and I'm like, well, at this point, I, I don't know where they're at and I haven't heard squats. So I'm just going to start moving down and, uh, try some different areas. Just listen, you know, see if I meet him instead of hearing him. And I basically walked right into the, into them. You know, at first I saw a cow, you know, at 70 yards to my left. And then all of a sudden there's a couple cows walking to my right, you know, 80 yards away. And so I hunkered down and sure enough, I mean, you know, 10 minutes later, I, I can see 15 cows, you know, closest ones being those first couple I saw, and, you know, out to, you know, somewhere 200 yards away in the timber and a, uh, a small satellite bull, one of the ones that, it might've been the same one he was screaming at that morning, but one of the ones he stole cows from, uh, came from behind me. I don't, I don't know how he didn't smell me. Came, I mean, 20, 30 yards off my right shoulder. He was basically doing the same thing I was doing. He was just kind of shadowing the herd, looking down there like, he wants to play, but he knows he's going to get his ass kicked. He goes down there type of thing. And he laid down uh, right in front of me. I'm like, oh, this, this probably is a good thing. And the cows started getting up probably, I don't know, three or four o'clock uh, to, to, to work off to feed. <clears throat> and uh, I stood up and got ready. Started, you know, and as they're working away and around the corner of the mountain, I'm, I'm moving forward as I can. Uh, you know, if, if no cows can see me, I'm moving forward. Cause I don't know, at this point, I don't know how far away he is. And it was probably within 15 minutes though, that all those cows getting up that he did one of his windy little bugles from his bed. And, uh, of course, a little bull in front of me fired back. And then that, I knew that was exactly what I needed. Uh, a real, basically I had a real elk calling for me. And, uh, he, he worked up to my side of his herd and just, you know, started raking a tree as all the cows are working around the corner. And by that time, that little boy had taken off. He didn't want to have anything to do with it. But the big guy kept raking, and that was what killed him. He, uh, the cows, as they worked around the corner and were out of sight, I basically ran in my nimble little McDonald's uh, toed shoes down the mountain and got to 50. I think the cut was to 42, and it was I had to sneak it through some brush, but um, hit him, hit him perfect, and that was it. But as, uh, as aggressiveness to that other bull, I was able to finally he made a mistake. And it took me eight days of getting within 100 yards of him to, to make it happen. But eventually he messed up. So with all of that, um, you know, you, I asked you a question earlier about like uh, people's expectations. Well, you know, I'm not asking you to brag. How many people could have pulled that shit off? Because you were like, ah, it depends on the hunter. Well, yeah, that's easy to say, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. Who's going to dunk a basketball? Well, it depends on how much you can jump. And then, you know, being as nice as I can, no shit, Tony. How many people would have killed that bull? Uh, I wasn't even sure I was going to kill him, so I, I don't know. Yeah, um, pretty low percentage, I mean, I, and probably was, one, right? Maybe 2%. I was, uh, I was willing to, I mean, I did this last year. I played cat and mouse with him last year. Uh, I mean, it's for sure the same bull. I got video of him. Sweeping main beams, you can't can't miss them, and and I failed. I, I failed. I went home last year without, and I was ready to do the same thing again. Um, I passed up several bulls. Hell, the first day I was in Colorado this year, I, I passed up a two eighty five by five at thirty yards, it hung out in front of me, uh, trying to mount a cow, and I I was willing to, to, to do that, and I'd be okay with it. If I were sitting at home right now and I didn't have that bull, then I was okay with that. But I was going to hunt that bigger one hard as I could for as long as I could and whether it worked or not that's what I wanted so. gotcha any other hunts you've had like that where 
you know, it was one of those maybe one, two, three year ordeals of going after the same animal and then, and then finally was able to capitalize and, and pull it off. Uh, I've got more stories about two or three years after the same animal and not killing them. Uh, I got lots of those. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I think for the most part, you know, like high country deer, I, I don't see the same deer. If you see the same deer every year, it's because it's like, oh, there's that scrubbing little 140 buck that's super mature, but nobody wants to shoot him. Uh, I think those, those bigger ones get killed one way or another once they reach a certain size and someone's figuring out how to kill them. Um, you got to have a pretty damn good sanctuary area to, to have an animal that, that can tuck away, you know, a mature one that people are after and not get killed with all the different seasons that they have going after them. Um, weight kills in the Midwest, I've got, you know, that's happened more often than it has, uh, in, the in the West. I think that, uh, I think it's just hard to turn them off, you know, unless you've got a, a, an animal that's a real homebody and just loves, and, you know, like this bull just didn't want to leave his mouth. And I think that uh, it's probably, it's probably not the, it's probably the exception, not the rule. Yeah. So with the um, uh, kind of, I guess, journey, story, whatever, with, with everything you've got going on, what are some of the animals um, yeah, I mean, I know cause I follow you on, you know, social and you're a Kafaru guy, you use our stuff. And so we, we, we pay close attention. Name. I mean, you got a pretty cool resume name off some of the animals you put on the ground in the last four or five years are pretty, you know, pretty impressive. Uh, oh boy, I'm going to sound like a jerk. Uh, what well, doesn't do any good to have you on here if you suck. <laughs> well, I've got, I don't know how many bucks I've got that, uh, I guess there's not much room left in my house. I guess that's a good way to put it. I don't do any more mounts, uh, shoulder mounts because I don't, and I've got a pretty big house. Uh, I need a barn. Everything's in euros now, but I've, you need I've, a barn I'm, dominium. I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, it'd be fun. I'm guessing I'm probably pushing 25, 30 bucks that would grow a spoon and crack it. Uh, most most of them are shot with a bow, a couple with, with a gun. Uh, and I think I only started hunting elk eight years ago. I think I've got 12 bulls, um, all of, but two were not herd bulls, you know, my first one, and then uh, I think a third bull, just a five by six. But uh, yeah, it's, I mean, there's, I've broken the 200 inch mark, and I've got, I've got some good ones. I don't, I'm more of a character guy. I don't need to, I don't, I don't need him to be giant scoring. Um, there's been a lot of bucks that have died in my hands just because they had cool brow tags. If they've got extra little stickers around their bases and they got an inline, I fall in love with that type of stuff. You show me, oh, my Kansas buck last year, he's, he's basically an eight point. I mean, he's just, and he, but he's, you know, he's got 14 inch G2s that are as wide as my hand and they blade it out, you know, four inches wide on his, on his main beams. And he just got cool character. And, and that buck, I, I didn't hunt him for three years, but I knew of him for three years. I have video of him in pictures from three years prior to last season, and he didn't change the entire time. Like he's always been just a big old bull type buck that had this goofy, you know, in Western terms, three by three frame with great eye guards. Uh, and I, even last year, I had to, you know, I wasn't sure if I wanted to kill him uh, until I got like super close, and then I realized all the characters he had. And so, yeah, it's, 
there's there's a bunch. I, I, I purposely don't count uh, because I I feel like that douchebag. If I've got 32 voting card bucks, it's like wow, that's great. Good you. I don't want to be that guy. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Um, it's important though. I mean, when people get advice, that they get it from somebody that's successful, and you know, without you know, you, you also you you know, you don't want to come out sound like a douchebag either, but. You got to get the point across that you're successful for a reason, your, your tactics and desire ability, things like that. Um, kind of your, your, your list top to bottom, uh, before we hop off here, I mean, what would you say guys want to, you know, focus on, I mean, how important is fitness? How important is time off? I mean, what, what are the, what are the important things for, for, you know, increasing your success? Um, yeah, I'm talking about out, out West. Sure. I think time off is, you know, just, just for at the top, is 10 days better than five? Of course. Is 20 days better than 10? Great. Yes. It, that's going to be key, but you got to remember it comes at a cost, right? Uh, we have loved ones back home. We have jobs back home. If your shit isn't in order and you're, you don't have everything lined up at home before you go, I don't care if you've got a month, if you're having to come out and, and on the wife's pissed at you every day and you're worrying about the guys at work and you left your job in a, in a you know shitty way and everything, figured out before you left, it doesn't matter how much time you have. It, you're going to be a wreck. And even if you are successful, you're going to be an emotional disaster by the time you're done. So get your things in order at home, no matter how much time you're taking off. Um, I think that, I think I kind of take physical fitness for granted because I've always been that kind of, and, you know, growing up until I you know was 18, I was that super skinny kid. And then, filled out to, you know, like a muscular proportional, you know, like a, I'm not like a super freak, you know, like crossfitter looking dude, but I've always been fit. I've always been more of a Lance Armstrong. Nimble because, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, maybe not that skinny, but, uh, yeah, I, wish, I wish I could do a couple pounds, but, uh, the, uh, what I do for work too, you know, it, it helps me to kind of take my physical fitness for, you know, for granted because I'm, I'm climbing walls, I'm doing construction, I'm, uh, you know, going on little cliff edges and stuff is, I'm not afraid of heights. I literally walk two by four walls, 30 feet up in the air before, I mean, it's, it's whatever. It's just what I do. Oh, no, so sure. when I got to the mountains, you know, and I grew up ski racing too. So that's another thing. I mean, I, I'm no, no stranger in mountains. So that was, I probably took that for granted, but that probably is a bigger deal than, than it seems to be for me. But, I know that the altitude gets me every year. You better be prepared for that. If you're planning hunting at 11,000 or higher and you're coming from sea level, it might be good to have spend a day at eight to 9,000 feet or 7,000 feet for one night uh, and let your body acclimate. I, I still, every single year when I, you know, this year was a little different because I hunted Nevada before I got to Colorado. So I was hunting at six, you know, five to 7,000 feet. And then, so I bet that was my, you know, equivalent of, acclimating but that first night in Colorado if you're coming from from sea level or, or even thousand I think I ended at a thousand uh it will mess you up like I have you know and when I do that I get the you know super bad headaches and I have to drop down you know nine ten for a day and can't eat uh don't take that for granted um I'd get yourself on rock slide if you're planning on coming out um yeah don't don't call me call Aaron or <laughs> <laughs> but now get yourself on rock. There's guys on there that'll help you. There's guys on there talking about tactics and strategies about your first trip out there. And there's all kinds of other people that are 
going through the same thing and, and uh, trying to plan their first their first hunt. And it's yeah, there's and that's I mean not that hard when I my first year out here. Um, I, I mean I learned a lot. I mean I hope my whole gear list was basically uh, I stole from uh, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Colin McConnell. Uh, guess how you pronounce his name? He uh, he published his gear list on kind of you know one of the forums and. I went through that whole damn thing and you know, there's people out there that, that are that putting stuff out like that. You can, you can figure out uh, how to make it easier on yourself. Um, gear's important, but the right gear, you know, boots, backpack, optics, um, focus on things that are help put the odds of killing something in your favor, not looking good after you kill it. Yeah. Well, and you want to look good too, but secondary sometimes <laughs> there i was talking to a, a mutual friend uh frank and i's last night he's in a different uh how'd you put it he's hunting things but not four-legged animals and we we're talking about the fit and function mm. of clothing and he's like and bro i'm wearing that shit if i don't look fucking good <laughs> and i was like it's a lot with hunters <laughs> I, i'm not gonna lie you give me two puffy jackets one i look a little skinnier than the other one the other one might be a little warmer i may grab the one i look a little skinnier and i'm not gonna lie it happens. Um, <laughs> the uh, you don't have to worry about that because you two are already skinny. But uh, you know, for for me, with the you know the, the the looking good and putting animals on the ground, I I do think people try to match maybe a little more than they need to. Um, camo isn't. I don't know. What do you think, Tony? What how important is camo the pattern to you, or is it more of the function fit mm. and material? Well, I will say until you hooked me up with rock slide and, and Avery and I started doing gear tests. And even the first couple of years, you can look back at all my kill picks, my gripping grins. And I don't think there's one picture where I'm wearing like even the same company's clothing, let alone the same pattern. Uh, I was that mix and match guy. And so I think Avery's like, or maybe it was Robbie was like, you know, these companies are going to use your pictures and you're going to do these articles. You might want to actually just at least coordinate the same company. <laughs> but uh, camo, I, you know what? There's times when it's going to save your ass, I think, with certain species. With elk, I think, you know, if you got your face covered, uh, and I love that little face mask on sick as a uh, lightweight core hoodie. You know, I use that thing religiously because I don't like the, to put uh, dupe on my face. And I, but man, there's more important things to worry about, I think. I think that, you know, if you're hunting turkeys, you're hunting uh, certain animals, I think it's, it's crucial. But for deer, they're going to see you. They're going to see you. And I, I, I'm just as comfortable and I hunt just as much in solid pants. A lot of times I'm in solid pants and a, and a, and a camel top just because I don't have a whole lot of solid tops. Uh, but at, you know, all the stuff I do in the plains, you don't need it. You, 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 you I've killed just as many, you know, and it with tan pants as I have with camel pants. Um, I, if it gives you confidence though, then by all means do it. Cause that, you know, that confidence is worth, you know, Worth the shit, but um, I think I think camel's pretty overrated. Yeah, and I I would I kind of agree on the same same thing. I think you know, like you said, there's certain animals. White tail would be one. I probably want to be a little more, you know, camoed. Frank, you're kind of the same way. You probably bring a camo top, maybe, but solids. I mean, like I don't know. We shot a goat the other day, and the only thing I had to worry about with camo because because it was clean and uh, I threw it in my bag. But I, you know, I. <laughs> Generally on a mule deer stock, if camo comes into play, something's gone terribly wrong. Um, you know, in the mm -hmm. high country or whatever. 
Frank, I don't know what's list importance one through ten of camo pattern. Uh, I think I'm just in general now liking the idea of maybe that cropped uh heely top. I think breaking up your outline is kind of important for me. Um, for the high country stuff, I don't really hunt a lot of whitetail stuff, so I couldn't tell you there. But um, <clears throat> yeah, I'm kind of liking the idea of playing around with a like a, a 3D type top, something to break up your outline, break up that human outline. Um, so I'm, I'm going to probably play around with that for the next couple of years for archery stuff. For, for rifle hunting, I don't know. It's not, not overly important to me. I'll just, I think more function than, uh, than camo for me is, is, uh, is important. So, um, yeah, pattern, I don't know. I think maybe if you're going to, if you are going to wear camo, just kind of be cognizant of, of the, the colors matching your environment. So, you know, I probably wouldn't wear desert camo in the forest or forest camo in the desert something like that yeah well cool well uh yeah tony what you got anything else you want to add where can people you know find you on social media um you know the rock slide where do they need to look at to see some of your uh you know work on there yeah uh, i'm on rock slide uh you know my articles whatever in there you can just search me i'm sure that'd be easy to find uh on instagram i'm just Tony underscore Treach, T-R-I-E-T-C-H. And then, uh, and basically, I mean, on Facebook, but everything, I, I just go get in there through uh, Instagram. So that's, there's uh, typically a couple articles out in Western Hunter or Eastlands every year that uh, I put out and uh, just the animals I killed, stories and stuff. And Who hounded so, you first about your elk this year? Who who contacted me about it? Yeah, I said hounded just because I I know the the, the, oh. the usual suspects. Oh, uh, just about all of them. <laughs> who who got they to are. you first? Who was, the, uh, who was on it? Uh, Todd at, at Eastman. He's he's pretty fast. Yeah, he is. Um, he's fucking fast. Yeah, yeah that's really good. I like Todd. The heart is still beating. Tony, you want to write an article? It's crazy because. <laughs> People will call me like the next day, like, hey, man, uh, this, this company just got a hold of me about writing an article. I'm like, you just fucking killed it. But immediately goes up on <laughs> social media and, and they're get you know, they want that. They want mm-hmm. that article. So. Oh, yeah. No, I think that the Nevada bull will be, uh, it's looking like he might be a, a cover bull. So that'll be cool. Heck, yeah. Well, cool, man. Well, at some point in time, we need to get you down and try to hunt our dad. Um See how you like that. A little bit different, and they're they're definitely challenging with a bow. Kind of grocery shopping with a gun, but uh, we'll have to try to get you down there and see how you like doing that. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Anytime. Well, yeah, man, we appreciate uh you know the friendship and appreciate the you know what you you supporting Kafaru and and everything you're doing, man. So it's good to finally get you on here. We 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 thank you. Well, I appreciate you, Aaron. It's funny that uh, it took this long since you're probably the reason that I'm in the industry. So. Ah, it happens. I think it's weird though. You're giving me shit the other day. You were like, "Yeah, everybody wants me, but 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 Kafaru cast." And I'm like, "You know what? It's kind of weird. It's like one of those buddies you don't ever call because they've just been there the whole time." So it's like, "Yeah, he's got a point. He's got a lot to offer. I probably should bug him." But since I've known you so long, it's like Avery. I think Avery might have been on here yeah. one time in the beginning, but I don't ever talk to Avery hardly because he's just one of those type of people that's been there since the beginning. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's. 2012 or 13, probably, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I had, I had someone else's backpack and I, and I, uh, hauled off a deer off the side of a mountain, a whole boned out buck. 
my first buck in the mountains. And I called you and I said, is this supposed to hurt like this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was the beginning of me uh, using Kafaro. I'm, like, uh, I'm in pain. Yeah. Uh, well, we, we appreciate it, man. And definitely, you know, everybody get a hold of Tony, not me or Frank with any Western hunting questions. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, shit. Anyway, well, man, appreciate we, we appreciate it. And uh, good luck. Keep us posted on the rest of your season. We'll do. Talk soon. All right, man. Take it easy. Bye.